You're listening to the Cut the Noise Quick Hits podcast. Welcome to season two of Cut the Noise Quick Hits, a series designed for our listeners to get a quick look at technologies and trends that impact their business. This episode is the first in a series about ServiceNow in which we'll educate you on the platform's capabilities and provide a case study about how real-world customers are using the feature. I'm with Andy Gallimore, our practice manager for ServiceNow, and today we're going to do a quick overview of the platform and capabilities in the IT service management, or ITSM space. Andy, tell us a little bit about what we're doing with ServiceNow in the ITSM space. Sounds good, absolutely. Uh, so ITSM is really the uh, crux that ServiceNow was built upon. Um, many people don't know, but um, Fred Luddy was actually the founder of ServiceNow, and he wanted to build a platform. He wanted to build a platform that wasn't around something specific. But when he went to uh, deploy that, it needed a focal point. So he decided that ITSM would be the greatest, strongest entry point for a process platform. And uh, he then originated the ITSM based on his prior experience. He really kind of jumped in there and formed ITSM based on a uh, workflow capability, based on a uh, self-service capability and wanted to fix all of the problems that he had seen in other ITSM platforms that had integrations and breakpoints and so on and so forth. So thus became ServiceNow's starting point where, uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, ServiceNow is actually the magic quadrant leader for the last four years uh, from a Gartner perspective, as well as the Forrester Wave leader from an ITSM perspective. Uh, for the last couple of years. So it's definitely the, the crux of what ServiceNow has been founded on, and it's where most people see its viability as a platform. With ITSM, most of the functions commonly are incident problem, uh, change management, release management, asset management, knowledge management are, are kind of the core hubs of what ITSM really is kind of driven on. Uh, but the one aspect of that that uh, really drives why ServiceNow is different is the self-service management capability and the service catalog and self-service portal. So, you know, those are all wrapped together and give the user a strong experience so that they can submit requests, they can submit incidents, they can search, they can help to self-serve. And the real driving force for most companies to switch to a ServiceNow platform as opposed to some of its competitors are the ability for them to actually offset the request process. So if I can call deflection or incident deflection using my knowledge base, it's really the major driver for why a customer gets return on their investment when they invest in ServiceNow. So a lot of times people look at ServiceNow and they see a lot of uh, cheaper viable products from a service management perspective. However, they don't have the same uh, heart and depth that they can go to for self-service, which then reduces their return on their investment, even though it's a cheaper buy-in. So a little bit about the details of um, ServiceNow from an ITSM perspective. Incident management is, is your typical something's wrong with the system. I have a broken asset or I have a, a piece of software that's not functioning as I, as I need it to. You know, they would go through, they would submit a, a request, or they would potentially look at the knowledge article to see if there's a workaround and uh, be able to mitigate that problem themselves. But that's kind of your basic incident management. There's, you know, assignments to the groups that help fulfill and that the proverbial service desk behind the scenes can then, you know, help you through that process of fixing that problem. One thing that uh, I often get confused with when we talk about incident and problem, I always considered those things the same. Can you describe a little bit of what's the difference between incident and problem management? Yeah, so the major difference between incident and problem, you can actually have problems without incidents. 
But that's not typically how most people work. How traditionally most uh, companies work is they have incidents that take place and when they see a large enough volume of similarly related incidents, they then roll that into a hierarchy to a problem so that when they mitigate that overall problem, that it satisfies the closure of the different incidents. So, for example, I might have a crypto virus that's hitting my environment, and maybe if one person opens it up, it's, it's an incident. Each of 100 people open up 100 incidents, now I have a problem, and I'm correlating all of those related incidents to one problem, so I have an umbrella to manage everything that's common around that. Correct. So I'll, I'll actually give an example, um, real-life example from my history at one of my companies that I worked for. Uh, we started getting incident requests saying, I can't get access to this particular system. Uh, so we got you know, 50, 60 incidents coming in. Well, we found out that when we overarched it, that the problem wasn't the system. It was somebody went into the server room and unplugged the system. So the server was unplugged. So the overarching problem was somebody had access to the server room that shouldn't have done certain things. The incidents, they had workarounds, they rerouted them to a DR server, they rerouted them somewhere else, but the overall problem needed mitigated by plugging back in the server. That's a simplistic example. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we're going to talk about IT operations management next. In the, in the next episode, um, if you're monitoring those devices through ITOM and you have that server that's unplugged, that should create... A incident problem. or a problem? Actually, it would, we would want that to uh, create a problem because an incident is a user-defined issue that comes up. If we've identified that there is a problem that we can mitigate prior to an incident, then we can actually go in, identify that the server's not online, go plug it in, and now we've mitigated any incidents that would have occurred because we were looking forward as opposed to being reactive. All right. Fair enough. So, We've gone through incident and problem management. Next up, change and release management. So change and release, that's, um, you know, not a lot of companies honestly do release management. Uh, more companies that do agile development, uh, that type of thing, they, they do release packaging. But really change management at its core is we want to know everything that's going in and out of our network. We want to make sure that any code changes, any server changes, um, any uh, we'll use the, the word from the, the CMDB, any configuration item changes that are being made, we want to make sure that we understand what's going on, we understand that it's been tested, that we've got back out strategies, that we un understand the workflow for approvals. And uh, there are a lot of different flavors, I guess, to, to say from a change management. You can be extremely thorough and you can have what they call a CAB meeting, a change advisory board meeting, uh, where you have maybe even business approval as well as technology approval to make sure that everything's been mitigated, we've done everything, all the due diligence before we go live. But really the, the crux is we just want to know what's moving in our environment so that when something goes bump in the night, we can point back to the challenge, the change, and mitigate appropriately. Release management really comes into play where I want to package different changes together into one. So, for instance, if I'm going in and uh, I've got, from a software perspective, I've got a handful of update sets that are individual code pieces, uh, but I want to make sure that I package those into a release because that way if something goes wrong, I can actually back that full release package out as opposed to the individual items. It actually helps me from a mitigation perspective in bundling things into a release 
as well as it helps from a change management perspective to have a release schedule so that people aren't just making willy-nilly changes all the time that uh, would potentially put you at risk. Change management is purely the, or the, the documentation of what's going to happen, but it's Correct. not. It's not an automation tool to push out the changes. No, it's not an automation tool, but you actually can tie in your orchestration to change management to actually trigger the events to take place in an automated fashion. So we could leverage the change management function to integrate with SCCM or something like that to, you've got the approved change, it's scheduled to push out at midnight on Tuesday. And then that service now calls out to SCCM and pushes the patches out and then tracks the success and failure and reports back to ServiceNow? Yes. We can take that even a step further to help mitigate changes that shouldn't have happened um, where we can, and this may be something that we talk about in the ITOM cut the noise session, but we can actually take that change management and use tools like Discovery or SCCM to update our CMDB and then tie that back to our change process to see, was that a change that should have happened? Was it approved? And if it's not, we can actually remediate and auto roll back in an orche with orchestration um, to mitigate any of those changes that happened that shouldn't have. You didn't mention benchmarks when you were rolling through the functions of, of ITSM, but it was one of the things I saw on the website under yeah. ITSM. So what do they mean by benchmarks in, in this module? So ServiceNow sets benchmarks from a platform perspective where they, they will take your information from your uh, cloud offering, your SaaS offering, and they'll actually use the benchmarks from other companies similar to you in your industry, outside of your industry, to help you understand um, how you fare against your com competition and or your peers in a specific uh, industry or uh, a specific size of company, that type of thing. Um, so what they'll do is they'll let you see, okay, well, you know, this particular companies of your size, they, uh, they're actually leveraging self-service much more than you. And, you know, then you can start investigating, well, how can I better leverage self-service or um, percentage of incidents that uh, are taking place in a company your size. You can start benchmarking and finding out, wow, we have a lot of incidents that um, you know, we probably should have better change management processes because why do we have so many incidents? Or maybe we've got asset distribution problems that we need to look into. Uh, so the benchmarks really start taking a, a fundamental grouping of numbers that will allow us to say, you know, what are, what are you doing in your ITSM space according to your peers? And are you better or worse? And then that will give you a, a foundation to start figuring out your continuous improvement model. So CIOs have to love that. It gives you a benchmark against your peers. That's one of the things we, we like to look at. How are we doing? It, it does. They so do. So is it like a red light, green light report? You're, you're, you're in the middle of the pack. You're ahead of the pack. Yeah. Behind the pack. It's, an, it's a numbers game where they, they start uh, essentially just showing you uh, what percentiles and things of that that you're, you're in from a, um, uh, a mechanism. But uh, it, it's interesting because a lot of CIOs love it for, from a theoretic perspective. Um, it's not leveraged nearly as much as it probably should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think from my perspective, it's just timing. I think a lot of times we get so inundated or um, even the common thing that I hear from companies is, well, we're unique. So they don't trust the data. Um, and the reality is, is ITSM, you can't be that unique. And if you are, then you're probably doing something wrong. Um, and that's the benefit of a, a platform like ServiceNow is, built on best practices, it takes the uniqueness out of it 
and allows you to process. And if you are following that standardization, then the excuses of being so unique go away, and now you can truly leverage the benchmark data. Moving on to asset management. So when I think of asset management, I think of asset tags, mapping to serial numbers, support contracts. Let's run through that. Yeah. So actually, interestingly enough, um, asset management was the reason that I took ServiceNow to my last company. The CEO had a strategy for rolling out iPhone 6 Pluses to nurses, chaplains, and social workers. Um, We were rolling out millions and millions of dollars in assets, and we had no way of controlling them. So what we did was I brought in ServiceNow to help us with that asset strategy. And with things like connections to, um, I'll start with the, the mobile devices, which um, is a prevalent issue in our, uh, in our current uh, ecosystems because everything seems to be going mobile. Uh, but we start in and you have a, an MDM like, a, um, like an Intune or like um, we used AirWatch. And we're able to actually tie into an AirWatch system to load our asset database that helps us understand on a regular basis with that connection, where is the device? You know, who's ha- who has the device? When was the last time the device was used? Um, and then when there's issues from that standpoint, now I've got a break-fix type of a situation. I go back to my incident management, my ITSM. That incident is a true broken situation. So now I have a replacement process. So asset management just allows you to take the full life cycle of that asset from procurement all the way to disposal and allows you that transparency of everything in between. And um, there's a lot of ways that you can really tie off on that. Um, One one thing that really is uh, a driver for most of our customers is especially in the healthcare space or in the... uh, in the financial industry, uh, which a lot of customers, they, they have those mobile devices, they've got PHI in the cloud, or they have um, PCI in the cloud. And they wanna make sure that those devices are always re- reclaimable, they know where the device is. Uh, if an employee, disgruntled employee walks away, I need the ability to wipe that device. The asset management function uh, with some you know, enhancements to it will actually allow you to control all of those aspects and allow you not to let your assets leave your site even though they're constantly out of your site. But you've got visibility to them. So you mentioned AirWatch earlier. So you could use ServiceNow to track an asset and then force AirWatch to lock a, lock a mobile device down. It's, ServiceNow mm-hmm. can't necessarily do that itself. It's not going to manage mobile devices itself, right? It doesn't manage the mobile device. But uh, interestingly enough, for instance, um, there's a, a company that we partner with called MobiCord that uh, I was a customer of that built a layer on top of ServiceNow that integrates with both the carrier. uh, So from a financial perspective, I can even run the financial aspect of onboarding and offboarding, paying my bills, things of that nature through ServiceNow. But then it also ties into your uh, third party and MDM so that you can have uh, statistical data on GPS coordinates, on, you know, log in, log out, that type of thing and allows you then to wipe the device directly from ServiceNow without going into the AirWatch console. So what it allowed me to do as a customer was actually to take the situation where I had one administrator of AirWatch that when I needed to wipe a device, the service desk needed to find that person or send him an email and he had a queue. It actually enabled us to actually give 150 service desk technicians the ability to wipe a device immediately in ServiceNow without giving them access, admin access to AirWatch. It actually saved me a ton of, uh, of risk because we were able to mitigate immediately when we found out about the need as opposed to 
watching that backlog build up for that AirWatch administrator, uh, and it saved us licensing from not having to make everybody an administrator on AirWatch to mitigate the risk. Um, there is one other aspect that I haven't mentioned about um, uh, asset management that's pretty powerful, and you mentioned asset tags earlier. Uh, there are uh, capabilities, scanning device capabilities, many, many uh, third-party add-ons from a ServiceNow perspective that actually allow you to uh, scan the devices, do bulk ads, uh, even tying in. We've worked with some customers to even tie in their procurement process to Dell EMC or Staples or wherever they're procuring information from to actually pull that data in and auto load into your uh, database uh, or use the scanning devices to be able to on your iPhone scan a box and it goes ahead and loads things to your inventory which is really helpful from a inventory management perspective which is really where the majority of those assets get lost um, you know when something's turned in when something's procured we don't take stock unfortunately a lot of times and that type of third-party integration with a scanning device actually helps you keep that inventory from uh, from totally procurement all the way through disposal. It, it sounds like we could do a whole podcast just on asset management. It sounds like much broader than I expected. It, it is. And, and honestly, we haven't even talked about software asset management, which is another component that uh, isn't truly a part of ITSM, uh, but it allows you to deal with your license management around Microsoft and you know, most companies that we deal with always have a true up at the end of every year with Microsoft or with some big third party, and uh, they don't have good ways of managing it. Software asset management in ServiceNow actually allows you to reclaim unused items directly using the software and orchestration to pull back um, software that may be loaded from somebody's desktop that they're not using. All right, great, great overview so far. So let's look at um, knowledge management next. Now, Knowledge management isn't necessarily a full-scale learning management system, right? Is this just knowledge-based management, or what's all involved with that? So knowledge management is, is really where we try to drive customers into call deflection. Um, so it is a full-fledged knowledge management capability. Uh, it allows you to set up multiple knowledge bases. It allows you to do security knowledge articles. So if you just want, for instance, my IT folks to understand what are our IT SOPs, standard operating procedures, uh, I can do knowledge bases for just those aspects that only the people that need to see it can see. Uh, from an end user perspective, I can create knowledge articles around uh, workarounds for known incidents. Um, I can create visibility to those even on our uh, service portal that would show that there's an outage so that it would do a call deflection and then point somebody to the knowledge article on how they mitigate themselves as opposed to calling the service desk and submitting an incident that's just going to distract people from actually trying to solve the overarching problem. So knowledge management is extremely powerful if done right. Um, the one challenge that we find with most customers is, is really is an adoption issue. Um, knowledge management is only useful to our customers that are willing to try to drive people to self-service. Um, you know, a lot of times we get and feedback. And keep the articles up to date, too. And keep the articles up yeah. to date, absolutely. Um, which, interestingly enough, from a, from a live active incident problem um, situation, ServiceNow actually allows me to, on an incident, as I'm tracking that incident and I find out that it's a larger scale thing, then we're probably going to get more phone calls. From that incident record, I can actually initiate a knowledge article and it will write the article itself based on the content of the incident. So it actually allows us to make a very fluid knowledge management process. But then to your point, 
pulling that down once the problem is solved and those type of things, closing out those incidents and making sure that your knowledge management isn't full of garbage is really the big driving factor. And, you know, most people don't invest in having knowledge managers to keep that healthy. I thought you did a pretty good job while we were recording there, uh, giving good examples of how customers are using each of the modules. Um, And so we don't have to go through a case study of a customer at this point if you don't want to. But if you have a good example of a customer uh, or, you know, hey, if if there's a, a like a best case customer scenario where somebody is using all of these modules, what's a good example of somebody that's done that and been successful with it? What did they do to be successful? Because this isn't a trivial rollout either, right? I mean, this is... It's not. This can be months, and you're not going to roll it all out at once in a big bang. In most cases, you're going to roll out a module at a time, train your users, get them familiar with it, get the wins. I mean, you might roll out incident and problem management at the same time or change management shortly thereafter, so on and so forth. But what does a successful rollout of, of, of ITSM look like? So from our experience, we, we do, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. You, you don't want to do the Big Bang Theory. Um, we've found uh, customers that try to eat the whole elephant, so to speak. Uh, they fail because they miss a key attribute. Uh, so we, we try to really try to set up for our customers to start with incident problem. Those are the natural places to start. Those are the places that they're probably already doing, whether it's in a spreadsheet or in another you know, third-party tool. And then they start moving into the change management. We do try to encourage customers to use change management and tie to their CMDB. Uh, the CMDB is the kind of central nervous system of ITSM. And uh, you know you can use CMDB for incident as well as as opposed to using categories and subcategories. But most customers do categories and subcategories. But for change management, we try to encourage them to go to their CMDB, which also now begs the question of how do I populate that? How do I keep it healthy? Um, so sometimes we do initiate uh, either an integration to SCCM to try to load and populate their uh, in an automated fashion their CMDB or a ServiceNow discovery uh, capability to just try to make sure that they've got all the right configuration items and, and assets in there. Naturally, because you're loading and populating the CMDB and the CIs, it's also a very natural hinge point to start that asset management process there. But while we're implementing change management, working through the processes, it really helps us to then evolve the asset management process as the requirements sessions and the discovery sessions to then deploy asset management after change management. And it gives a natural progression for our customers. We've got a standard implementation with ServiceNow uh, for ITSM, and we've done it probably four or five times with great success. Actually, we had two go live in the last couple of weeks without one technical issue. And uh, they've followed the plan to a T, and things have gone extremely well. The success really hinges upon getting the right product ownership for each capability. So if I've got an incident owner, I need to make sure that I've got somebody with decision-making authority over incident. Sometimes it's the same person for all of the capabilities, but oftentimes it's really a specialized person for each individual capability. Who's going to have ownership of that? Who's invested in it? Uh, And then from a success perspective, we also try to be a little bit different from our uh, competitors in the way that we try to help with organizational change management. We don't believe this is just a tool implementation. We believe this is about people, processes, and tools. So we try to make sure that when we go to market that we're helping people through the change curve, working with the individuals that are going to be impacted by the change, 
helping them understand that we're not trying to alleviate, we're not trying to get them out of the process, we're trying to enhance what they can do so that they can focus on more important things that the system can take care of the easy stuff. Uh, so we try to help people through that change curve and where we found the most success is where customers are open to not just another tool. All right, well, that was great, Andy. Next time we're going to cover IT operations management capabilities and I look forward to our discussion next time. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Cut the Noise was recorded at the Round Tower Global Headquarters in Cincinnati, Ohio. Audio mixed and edited by Vince Lombardo. I'm Curtis Lindemann and we hope you'll join us next time for Cut the Noise Quick Hits.